I've literally visited clients who had no idea like what a server was or where it was going or who was using it. And I'm sure that problem has existed in many places. And yeah. my official years of technical IT expertise was like, well, let's just turn it off and see who complains. <laughs> <laughs> my, my favorite is I, uh, I had a, uh, a rural school that we had decommissioned a whole bunch of, of hardware, uh, but they didn't know what to do with it. So we just left it in the rack and I tagged it all. So I would normally put tags uh, at the power plug, basically saying decommission the date, do not plug this in. And uh, lo and behold, I'll get like a, a monitoring notification of, hey, this machine's come back online. Wait, what? <laughs> Why? Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software products inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. JD, you're so organized and so amazing, and we have to look up to you as a model of a majorly awesome citizen. What do you want, Matt? Oh, wait. <laughs> I want your skills. You're so organized. You and your you labels. Like, labeling well, gear labels. with when it's going to be decommissioned, that's just too thoughtful. You just thought I of know, it. right? <laughs> Expiration dates on hard drives, it's a thing. I only do it on milk. <laughs> uh, well, they should do it on hard drives. I'm just saying. Those folks at Western Digital and and uh, who else? There's only like two companies, Seagate and Western Digital now. So, uh, you know, pay me lots of money and I will show you how, how the ways are of labeling drives. You'll sell more of them. It's a good segue. Someone just texted me a link about how the M1 uh, laptops are chewing through their SSDs faster than... Uh than normal. So maybe there's an expiration date on those. Got to get a new M1 every year, but let's back up a little bit and welcome our guest, Brian, to the wonderful Mac DevOps podcast, where we talk about hard drives and expired milk. Yeah. Hey, hey. Yeah. They're all color coded. So see, Western Digital is already ahead of the game on that. With the uh, red drives and the uh, (laughs) blue and black and yeah. Oh, and if you're colorblind, you're still stuck. So Oh, I guess it says it in words because you can peer into the server that it's in and see. Oh, no, you can't do that either. You have to like tear the servers apart just to see the color <laughs> of the drives, you know, and then the server doesn't work anymore. <laughs> yeah, I've always asked for glass, glass or plexiglass covers for all of our servers. Ooh, ooh, yeah. yeah, you know, with some swaggy. We used to run the XServes topless that way so you could slide them out and see see the guts of them. Oh, well, that's some good trivia because the X-Servers used to have to mount the case, like the top case, and the so you could almost slip them right out of the case. Uh, mm-hmm. That's taking me back a few years. Um, back in the good old days when Apple thought that they could be a server company. It didn't cause an airflow problem, or was it was a solution just to keep the room so damn cold that you didn't, need, you didn't care about an airflow problem? The whole room was water-cooled. It was an aquarium. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, when you have when you have a rack of equipment, there's other equipment sitting above it, so you still have the airflow channel. Okay. It's just that when you undid the two screws and slid the whole thing out, you also did not have to undo the top and slide that out the other way and whatnot. So topless, topless servers. Mm. Me some nightmares of like we had like stacks of thirty or. I don't know what the max was in Iraq. Something it was thirty something, but yeah, they're so tight in there. Like one is jammed, and you can't get it out. And you're like, I swear I measured these properly and put them in exactly the way they were supposed to go. That's the skill set you get by playing Jenga. You have, you have to poke each server to figure out which one's a loose one, and then start to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you hope you didn't, uh, you know, uh, get like one of those uh, threaded hole racks, which I thought were awesome oh. until I, 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 I did, undid the threads, and then. You know, you're racking servers and you're like, oh, I can't really rack this one because I destroyed the thread. So I'll just place it on top of another one. And then I found out that actual fiber cable is not enough to support the weight of an X-serve when, <laughs> when released of all other gravity, uh, you know, defying items and hang an X-serve hanging by a single uh, multi-mode uh, uh, fiber, <laughs> fiber cable. Yeah, that was, uh, I was, yeah. Not cool. See if that glass can stretch, huh? <laughs> yeah, we ripped a lot of a lot of uh, connectors. <laughs> I think the most common problem I used to run into is is they would rack and then wire power and data, but they wouldn't leave enough slack for that thing to slide out. And so you go to yep. screw a circuit, pull it out, and all all the wires plugged into the back of it rip out the back because they didn't leave enough slack for that to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've had but some bosses so pretty with the, that. Or yeah, just make it so tight, make everything fixed. in there, and just like don't leave any room, and we're never going to come back and ever change anything. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's like ah, <laughs> uh, the good old days. Are you uh, spending any time racking servers these days, Brian? Or what? What is your most fun activity? Or what's your day like? That's what I was originally trained to do uh, back. Um, over seven years ago, I was an up-and-coming system admin by specialty in trade. And then I jumped into a, a couple other jobs where I was kind of pulled into my AV skills, setting up a lot of AV work, and then IT management skills. And so I was managing support teams and helping them get kind of up and running. And uh, kind of kept kind of kept on that little role. People kept liking what I was doing, so I kept doing that. And now I'm, now I'm not doing anything with servers anymore, so I miss it. So I'm actually going to see if I can do a career change and see if I can get back into a system admin work. Um, what are you doing now? Or? Deployments? Oh, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you. I'm a SaaS ops person. So I, 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 uh, I do nothing but SaaS vendors, SaaS integrations, IDP management, um, uh, automations, deployments for new hires, offboarding, you know, it's all the things. So all, all, the, all the, the, the world of SaaS tools that a company uses, um, I'm now managing that for my company. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool. That's very interesting. I mean, I had a friend, a colleague go, was saying that they needed a developer to build a SaaS app. And I was just like, software as a service. But what kind of app? Like, what is it doing? Like, yeah. you know, that's a big, that's a big little word. Like, what? But you told me what you wanted to do, and I'll tell you whether it's going to be SaaS or not. <laughs> it might just be on-prem. You might have to live with that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the old days when I was in visual effects, uh, after art schools, I went into visual effects, and they just called everything that you wrote called glue code, because you're just gluing from one system to another, and you'd make like one system talked to another system and that's back when nobody had external internet, you know, facing systems, it was all internal, you know, nobody had to be embarrassed for your total crazy insanity that you're building. What's wrong with that? That's, that's object oriented, isn't it? Object oriented. Yeah. <laughs> it's all API stacks now. So you're just getting one, one SAS's API to talk to another SAS's API and then the robots take over. 
That's some pretty cool stuff. That's that seems to be where the future is at. I mean, software, the, the, our infrastructure is software these days, right? And so a lot of that infrastructure is SaaS and one tool talking to another tool. And I mean, uh, there's a there's a little little bit a little leap from uh, b- building shell scripts to scrape info to dump stuff into some some system to having a SaaS uh, API talking to another API. That's 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 the future where I'd love to be someday. I'm still racking servers and uh hanging out and scraping uh info from one database into another and uh, try not to show anybody what i'm doing yeah yeah i i love the request where they want everything to be virtual and then they want like a giant sql server i'm just like "Mm, okay uh sql i think is like the bottom of the list of things you ever want to put virtual um but uh, you know i've but i've had to deal with that before i've had to i've had to upgrade an entire virtual stacks um to see if i can create enough uh uh, firepower, kind of horsepower, if you will, uh, for an SQL server to run virtually. And Maybe they were burning money to heat their homes in a power outage situation, right? I mean, yeah, it was the IOS that was just never fast enough than what a bare metal can do uh, with direct on with direct storage. Um, it was just a waste. It, w- it was it was just a bad format for it. Well, I mean, my my clients are all video editors of Final Cut or Avid or Premiere, and they've always had way too much stuff to go in the cloud. So while I've been into this whole DevOps thing from being in the open source, just like Monkey and Monkey Report, trying to build plugins and work with that, but I've never really shoved any of my clients into the cloud because while it is possible to put video in terabytes, but it's just slow and you're always at the last mile. And you know, my clients now with remote are working off the cloud in some different ways it's getting more possible, but still I'm not going to shove 300 terabytes from one client in the cloud in a second and grab it and move it. And then I was just looking at one site and it was like the egress fees and the ingress fees, and then the storage fees. And <laughs> I mean, your OPEX versus your CAPEX. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's better to pay maybe 500 bucks or a thousand bucks a month versus maybe one 20,000 or 50,000 or a hundred thousand dollar bill. But at some point, I mean, if your, we're for your cloud deeper- storage, Hmm? I mean, yeah, if we're looking for a DR solution, I, I get why you might put something like that together. But for actual realistic production, you know, production performance, yeah, it's like... Uh, it's not taking into account the, the labor cost and the time of waiting for that, that uh, progress bar. Definitely right. for disaster. I mean, right, offsite's always been an idea for disaster and having the cloud somewhere in there is not a terrible idea. I mean, if you can automate it, you know, if it means right now, if it's taking a drive or a raid manually once in a while, that's not great. We all know that automation is better. So if you can automate data, virtual machines, everything going off site every day, then that's not terrible. I mean, some people can rebuild their entire stack virtually in minutes or hours or days. But um, even if it takes days, it's better than nothing. <laughs> you know, it depends on what kind of stack you're building and what your infrastructure is, right? Yeah. Um, and whether you're a bank or whether you're a, a boutique video shop or somewhere in between, you know, are you a retail store? Do you need your point of sales up quickly? Or are you a bank and you need that stuff all now? Um, uh, I guess every business has a different tolerance and a different maybe infrastructure stack. Uh, JD, are your clients uh, going into the clouds? Are you restoring them from the clouds or... They, I mean, we have a, a, a mix, but I, I tend to have some local backup storage, whether it's a Synology or, or something like that, just because having data local is always fastest and bestest. And even if they're not necessarily in the office all the time, if I can get 85% of their data back from a local backup and then the rest from the yeah. cloud because they've been out of the office, that's still a lot better. But 
Yeah, I've I've had my share of stories of thank goodness we had the cloud backup. Mm. But yeah. As I as I just uh bought a whole slew of of the little uh SanDisk uh, one terabyte like rugged uh USB C drives for for backups for folks. Those and and they call me. I, I just set them up and they called me and they're like, the backup's done, time machine's done. And I'm like yeah, they're really fast. It's okay. <laughs> but yeah. the last one took days to finish. I'm like, I know, you're good. But with everything in the cloud, now I find myself with the opposite problem of what I used to have, where the storage, the shared storage you'd build, whether it's a SAN or a NAS or something, and you're like, that, sh- that shared storage is not a backup. We need a backup solution, which is tape or uh, drives or right. both. Now it's like some of my clients are working mostly in the cloud or their primary copy of some of their data is in the cloud. Now I have to go the other way and make sure the cloud is backed up locally somewhere <laughs> and archived because... That cloud is also not a backup unless it is your backup, which means it's your second. And if it's an archive, then it's a, a one version, perhaps of, of, of many versions, hopefully. So, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, definitely been a challenging year. Uh, Brian, what are what are your challenges been uh, this year? <laughs> we uh, we have small business to large business woes, and this is nothing. I'm not going to say anything that anybody doesn't know this already. Uh, but it's just what I'm going through right now is. We have we had best intentions on password management, for example, and of course, there's a lot of uh, systems that are just not feasible for engineers to have a separate account, identity management into every little system. Sometimes you just have to have a shared uh, a credential to go in, depending on what system that is. Uh, the smaller the business, this makes more sense as we're trying to crunch and save numbers and and get you know a product up and running. Once that business turns into a larger business. Um, where you have the full breadth of departments like HR and facilities. And you know, once you get those departments into your, under your stack, you know, your business is getting large enough. And uh, we, have a, uh, we have a password management system that just appears to be a lint roller of uh, collections where people are just kind of dumping things into a shared area that everybody can see. So um, some diligent security folks and myself are, are trying to go through that to see if we can separate that out and start to maintain a access as needed profile that we've wanted for the past couple of years and realize that you no know, little snippets of paces around the environment. So uh, that's a current struggle. I'll stop there to ask, see if you guys can, <laughs> can join or give me some sympathy on it. <laughs> it's trying because the password managers were developed on a, you know, a singular basis, right? It's you, the user, make sure you capture all of your passwords. And then the, the team's man- management side of that came on and what's the easiest thing to do, but to default the team, you know, vault of passwords to that and just dump everything in there. But like our downloads folder and previous, previous to that, the, the desktop, it's just a dumping ground. So uh, yeah, encouraging folks to go back and reorganize and, and, or create different vaults, I guess, for different teams. And, and at least, yes, you're going to have that security issue amongst that team, but, but it's maybe not, organizational wide yeah I, i've i've had two uh challenges uh, that i see right in front of me is in the good old days when i used to visit clients on site i would be walking around talking to them and saying hi and then ripping sticky notes off their displays with passwords on them and throwing them <laughs> in the trash or just tearing them up casually as i'm walking around just throwing them in the trash and, and looking under their keyboards and just taking away all their sticky notes and just throwing them away indiscriminately. That was part of my service, uh, password de- destru- destruction as a service. Um, but in some of my high security, high security, really high security uh, uh, places where they are for users are forced to rotate their passwords, 
I mean, they're writing them down on sticky notes or usually just using the same password, adding a one or a two, or, you know, I've been in this prison for 700 years because my password is blah, blah, plus 700, you know, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and the, you know, so I don't have that anymore because everyone's at home. So I can't rip their sticky notes off their, their displays anymore because we're not visiting clients anymore. But the other, other one I had is something I, I sort of ran into occasionally when we'd have security audits of various media um, like sort of like usually I'd be a, uh, a consultant for clients that are working in a certain industry, but they're not being well served by their IT departments for video and video production and media. And so I'd go and help with them, but then their security team would be like, oh, you have a media storage server and it has to meet all our security requirements. I'm like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. And they'd be like, oh, you got these service accounts or these default service accounts. And I'm like, yeah, some of these are okay because this, this media, the server, the storage, it can't be upgraded. It can't be updated. It's supplied. It's serviced by a vendor, and it's going to be either firewalled completely off or literally air gapped. It's not going to be on any network. It's not, you know. So, um, but now I'm finding that these these previously air gapped servers are now being connected up because people need access to them remotely. And to the credit of these awesome consultants that are going in and attaching them um, to multiple awesome uh, mesh VPN services, WireGuard, TailScale, Zero Tier. I've been playing with all these like point-to-point -point mesh VPN uh, networks, um, but still they are littered with service accounts and plus they're at certain versions, you know, and as we all know, the world changes really quickly and CentOS 7 is not the latest anymore, but you, this is your storage server and this is your server that's doing storage and it's production. <laughs> and can you upgrade that? Not really because it's the vendor. And, you know, until recently, I mean, we'd have a, a machine that someone would connect to it and that someone would team viewer into that machine just to do some service on it. And they're like, oh, can we connect this to the internet so that we can do a you know, yum install upgrade everything? I'm like, nope, nope, nope. It's got no internet. And now they're all on mesh VPNs. And so they're connected through some physical interface somewhere. And still they got these surface accounts and stuff. And so that's just scary and potentially, you know, um, needing fixing. You're, you're still nicer than I am on that topic. Uh, let's go back. To, <laughs> let's go back to the sticky notes. I have some really good, uh, I shouldn't admit this on the recording. I will anyway, I don't care. I have some, oh. I have some really good penmanship. I'm some really good abilities to, uh, to forge handwriting if you will oh oh good um and so i would actually take that sticky note and change the password <laughs> and put it right back on the monitor so they would uh type in the wrong password each time uh in a very similar fashion the uh, password manager that we're using right now with the shared accounts that we everybody's on board of storing important information in this password manager that, that we we have a uh with the exception of secrets but never mind how that's being managed that's that's security security's <laughs> security's got that but um and uh, what i'll do on occasion i'll, I'll go find a, a shared account and I'll log in, I'll change the password and then update the password manager. Now, if everybody's using the password manager to log into these things, that's fine. Nobody has a problem. So I do that and I wait for someone to complain saying, hey, this password doesn't work anymore. I was like, well, if you, it, it's correct in the password manager, why don't you? <laughs> yeah, th this is definitely a frustrating thing with uh, Apple and Google and Firefox all trying to be helpful by managing passwords, yeah, Google not Chrome, necessarily yeah. in a secure way, but also not giving the the true password management vendors a way to, to shut that that off. You have to be savvy enough to, to shut that off. I have all my you know randomly generated password in you know in my password management manager of choice. But you know, all we need is uh, some kind of awesome exploit to open up my keychain because I've got them all in iCloud too. <laughs> That's like so my attack surface area is like huge. Oh, I'm using a great password manager. Oh, and I'm also storing them randomly also in this other thing. You know, 
But I mean, at least you can use a corporate password manager because, you know, in these these high security areas where they're forced to change their password all the time, there's no password managers. So you're, you're forcing people to stick to a, a simple password that gets repeated instead of a nice, complicated, awesomely randomly generated. I mean, I've gotten some awesome random ones that I've memorized because I just type them every now and then myself and I love to memorize long random strings. But uh, most people would love to use a password manager for those random strings. And if they can't, they're just going to go with spring 01 and then it's spring 02 or <laughs> what is the season? In this day and age, uh, why not use a, a physical uh, authentication key like a YubiKey or something like that? Uh, in, in that type of environment and just get away from passwords altogether? Well, I, I, like in some of the secure environments I'm in, I mean, uh, yeah, they're, they're, a lot of them are moving to multi-factor, you know, using like, um, like Azure, Outlook, you know, Microsoft. Um, but they also, you know, there's a combination of like RSA, uh, you know, secure ID, like hardware tokens, right. software tokens. But there's also... A corporate password that's stuck in there as well. So there, it's multi-factor. So you still have one point of awesome failure, which is the simple password on the corporate account, which is not being, you know, not complicated because there's no password manager. So I think having a, a password manager would help. I mean, also maybe not changing the, forcing them to change the password every you right. know, 90 days yeah. or something. Um, because yeah, you you need to get that like Kerberos ticket for your corporate account. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, so multi-factor definitely having to- tokens uh, definitely helps. Uh, uh, better than nothing for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I think we've come down with some agreements to extend uh, when passwords need to be changed and which ones. Uh, so I feel like we're pretty lax. But the only reason we were able to is exactly what you said about you know starting to implement the two FA, the the hard tokens, and getting systems to recognize that like cool, you entered a password. Now let's send you something unique to actually, uh, you know, the, the second factor, if you will. Um, but yeah, so a lot of our systems are going that way as well. We even started implementing some um, some extra FA <laughs> on, uh, on some of our Google accounts. Yeah, we've identified certain teams that actually carry a lot of confidential information in our, in our Google system. So we're actually kind of putting an extra layer on some of those accounts and activating some security features that come with our enterprise. Um, so my life is going to get harder soon. So is that like, like Apple, when you sign into a device with your Apple ID, it pops up a a dialogue on the device you're signing into saying, Hey, you're trying to log in. So that type of thing. Uh, it'll be, it'll be nicer design than that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the Apple one is pretty nice when you get like a, you know, messages will pop up. This is from messages like your Safari will auto-populate. I've been finding that's very useful. Um, but I worry about somebody like, you know, getting another SIM card on my account and then just receiving all my texts, you know, it's like SIM, SIM cloning, you know, social engineering, the, the phone provider to intercept those messages. Um, well, Apple just does that for you by messages in the cloud. They, they just make sure all your devices have it. So can I, can I borrow your iPad, Matt? Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't do this as a parent, but yeah, you just register another device for your kid's account and then you just keep it around if you want to make sure what they're doing. <laughs> I would never do that. Um, sometimes actually now that they're older, I do not want to know what they're talking about in texting. So yeah. In addition to the open DNS you have on your home networks, you can just see where they're going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the Raspberry right. Pi and, uh, you know, it's like the, the DNS sinkhole is like, <laughs> yeah, I got a log server. I'm just like collecting all the logs from all the <laughs> Uh, yeah, sometimes you don't want to know. Um, just set some ground rules and uh, let them go. <laughs> well, what other challenges have you been facing over the year? You got password managers and passwords. And- yeah, let me uh, 
you're doing a lot of SaaS work. So if your users are remote, then uh, then that you, you're as long as your systems were accessible to remote users, then you'd be a we you, were you'd be laughing lucky in that front. And we had some really good CPE folks on our side. Uh, you you uh, I think you've met both of them actually, uh, Harry and Austin, uh, who have uh, come by to visit. Um, uh, very, very smart people. They are, they are incredibly like award-winning CPE people. And they did not anticipate a pandemic level of everyone working from home. They did, however, anticipate a whole office getting shut down for whatever reason. And it's happened in Denver a couple of times. Uh, the city had a power outage or, or uh, the water in our building had to go out because we're renting a huge space within a larger uh, complex. And uh, it, we, we saw enough that large departments of people needed to work from home for however many days. And so we actually set up uh, adequate VPNs and segregated VPNs, depending on the access you needed, and, and adequate 2FA pieces with uh, you know you know, you know uh, a proper identity management behind all that. We set all that up, and then like we already had it all set, and then COVID hit. And fortunately, we had already anticipated having an entire office offline. So all between 500 on one office and a thousand people in another office, all having to work from home, we had the bit the the, the scale for it. Um, in addition to that, and this is where, where my story comes in, I was goading about my teammates here, uh, it's the work from home tools, like a whiteboarding tool, for example, or, or adequate uh, uh, video conferencing tools or, or uh, uh, um, other productivity tools like a Lucid Chart and the new product Lucid Spark. If you're not familiar, go find it on YouTube and watch some snazzy videos about it. It's actually really cool. And these, these tools are actually so cool that people are actually uh, uh, thinking they may not even need conference rooms anymore because this virtual whiteboard works so well. You can send it out to somebody, to a team in advance. They can go in and write a bunch of notes. As soon as you're meeting, the notes are already on the board instead of wasting time writing things and putting a little sticky notes in the project uh, think tank. Um, this uh, product works so well that we're anticipating when we get back into the office, um, inshallah, um, <laughs> we, uh, we'll... Uh, we may not even need as many book conference rooms anymore. And believe me, our executive admins who spend, uh, bless their hearts, uh, spend so much time uh, booking rooms and booking conference rooms and booking meetings and booking all kinds of things. They've said ever since working from home, they've saved three to four hours a day um, doing this. And so one of the struggles that you going right back to your question that I've, that I've come to is that I need to start in reinventing exactly what kind of uh, SaaS tooling we're going to be using in the future, uh, not just during, you know, pandemic era, but when pandemic is over and we start going back to the office, I need to anticipate exactly how those SaaS tools are going to be uh, going forward. Right now, it's kind of my job to keep managing that. So are, are you running into uh, the issue of, of not having the right people in the room uh, because everything is a virtual meeting now? No, everyone who needs to be in a virtual meeting can get there. Um, the difficulty was before then we used to have to try and connect to vert to uh, audio vision uh, conference rooms okay. in either office and people used to, used to have to get into that room because it, that's just the nicest way to do it. Have everybody around right. the table and have whiteboards visible on a camera that they would have to pan over here and get to get the whiteboard <laughs> on the camera so we can all see it. Uh, these virtual tools are just going to save all of that to the point okay. where they may not even need to book the rooms anymore. One one wild possibility in the future is if that becomes so well designed that we might even need, we might even be able to save uh, office space, actual square footage by not having to build out as many large rooms anymore, maybe uh, donate it to smaller rooms for like one-on-ones and whatnot. I mean, a lot of companies are questioning. That's small donut rooms. Yeah. Donut that rooms? Did small you say- donut rooms for you. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I, I'm all good with donuts. I mean, when we were working in visual effects, it was always a fully stocked kitchen and people would be eating their breakfast and their lunch and dinner. I mean, never going home. That was the point, right? Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you, when you first see a kitchen in a workplace, you're like, whoa, people don't know how to eat at home. Oh, this is to keep us here and for, stop us from going home. But now we're always at home. <laughs> we're always oh, snacking. Yeah. I, I used to love uh, when some of the uh, junior tier, okay, I'm, I'm going I'm to be really condescending. Asterix, self-aware, condescending statement coming up. Uh, when we would hire some of the junior level kids that would come in out of college, I call them kids because they're literally half my age. And uh, they, uh, they would come in and they'd see all the amenities that we have put out there originally, culturally for engineers, because that's how we used to treat engineers and nobody else. But our company decided to make sure this was big enough and wide enough for everyone to participate in snacks, self-made breakfasts, uh, catered lunches, uh, all those things in the office, that uh, if anything ever went out of stock, those pretentious little stock up <laughs> would complain about it. Be like, hey, we're out of our hint water. <laughs> I was just like, you damn kids. You don't even know what it feels like to work in a cubicle. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, work from home. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a bit of a culture shock for me when I started in visual effects and see people coming to work and then eating their breakfast. And I remember like following around one of my old coworkers and just singing this breakfast song that I made up in my head. It's breakfast time. He's eating his breakfast. He didn't wake up in time and now, but you know, it was, it was kind of shocking to me that people couldn't like wake up, get themselves dressed and eat breakfast and then go to work, but they would just, you know, wake up, sort of fall over and go to work and then get breakfast. Cause why not? It's there. But uh, <laughs> You know, it's kind of nice if you have a late shift or something and you can make some dinner or actual proper food. And there was one guy that used to bake bread and stuff at work. And we, you know, it was awesome. You'd be working and stop I'm like, oh, this fresh bread. I never have to go home and see my family or my kids ever again. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess the last struggle I would I would go through to answer uh, kind of what other struggles I'm thinking about is exactly what bare metal actually ever needs to exist on prem anymore ever. Um, now this doesn't take away from Jack, your, uh, JD, I, um, your, uh, example of having a local, um, backup, you know, things that are right. available for immediate access right now, our, our SAS, all, we're, we're a SAS tool company. So all of our stuff's in the cloud already. It's all behind Amazon. It's sure. all behind. Sure. So our particular use case doesn't need it. And so we're actually kind of walking around our infrastructure and be like, does this, does any of this still need to be here? Like, why is it still here? Like, why do we even need it? What about Amazon yeah. going down? What about you know the real right. infra behind your cloud infra? Like we 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 relish in the fact that if Amazon goes down, it's not just us. <laughs> <laughs> True. When they go down, yeah. half the world goes down with it, and we can we can just kind of like ride in the coattails of the entire problem. Um, but uh, Amazon does a really good job of having a lot of redundancy. That's it's their it's their business model, and uh, they've done they've done a really good job of keeping themselves alive. You could start building new data centers in your offices called Amazon Outposts, where you're hosting <laughs> Amazon's gear that you're outsourcing to them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, mm. the genesis of our bare metal, I think, was a version of that originally, and it's like this is our, our original piece, and all of our backup is in the cloud, or maybe reverse order as soon as we were uh, uh, stable and redundant on the cloud and providing services, and then we had a backup on on site, and and it just became less and less relevant to have anything on site. And so either office we have in, in San Francisco and Denver um, just don't need a lot of bare metal anymore, except for perhaps wild functions that have nothing to do with product. Security cameras. 
Well, even that got moved to the cloud. Can, can you believe it? Like, seriously. Like, what? Yeah. Um, I'm still running local NVRs because I don't, I don't trust anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true Spokanistanian. Um, well, you know. You're living in the wilds of the hinterlands of Washington NDR is State. We, we installed in his garage because he really doesn't trust anybody. <laughs> I have. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, you know, it, well, it, it's that, and and just that uh, they don't want to pay for the pipe that's big enough to push twelve or sixteen cameras up to to the interwebs. So uh, we're we're dealing like with cable internet here, and and Comcast is Comcrastic. Uh, in that uh, you know they just don't want to don't want to give you up upload speeds worth anything, so you can't. And as it is, you're shouting into the the crowd, right? You're trying to get a a TV signal up upstream to to push data uh, up to the internet from from that. So we don't have fiber like Matt. Doxis or die. <laughs> the, the cable protocol <laughs> will win overall. <laughs> Toxic will kill us all. Yeah, I have fiber and cable hooked up to my house redundantly coming off the same tree. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's fine. One tree goes down. My both my redundant ISPs. Um, yeah, but I don't have that. I, I need it faster, faster. Everybody needs faster. Uh, I, I think it's also gotten easier with a lot of the SaaS solutions in that uh, uh, you know before you were you were relying on a cloud type sync solution where now uh, like I'll take Office 365, you're literally opening a copy off the cloud. You're no longer even accessing something that's that's on the local disk anymore. Um, so that that risk of only having the document local is no longer a, a risk because it's always in the cloud. It's it's all in the cloud. And now our job is to to back the cloud up. But even that with Synology, you know, I've I found Synology does a really good job of being able to to tie into that and and back out back up those drives. So as as a low cost small solution, not for five hundred to a thousand people, but no, I mean a lot of vendors and even QNAP I know, and I think maybe Synology is working on this too. But they're doing a very uh, interesting tiered thing that I'd only would have seen in, in enterprise NetApp or enterprise storage before where they would have different tiers and in, in the cloud or SSD then hard drives and near line and all this kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, I mean, I saw some demonstration of some caching server where basically all your stuff's in the cloud, but you cache what you need in various physical locations. So everyone can hit the the cache and the cache can be in their house. Right. So now everyone's remote. Every, everybody is a branch location and you can have a cache, um, I mean, for my video users using PostLab, because it's like basically GitLab, the, the cloud is the referee and has the major copy, the authoritative copy, but everybody's working on a local version. So you're working locally, and then you're just using the cloud as the referee because right. you're version controlling your, your video production, which is amazing because you can work locally. The benefit of having that SSD, that cache local, but you're using the cloud to be your, your authoritative copy to, for exchange and collaboration and so, so Brian, uh, with uh, um, you guys finding that you may not need to have conference rooms, are, are you looking to bring everybody back into the office or are you still going to be uh, semi-remote or mostly remote for, for your teams? I, uh, I, I'll, uh, I'll first preface this with Sam guessing because I'm not necessarily a part of the committees that are, that are trying to decide this. So uh, with, respect, sure. with respect to them and the decisions they're making, uh, I will I will follow and support, but my guess, based off the information I've I've seen, 
um, is one, continued uh, continued extensions of work from home policy. Uh, right now our office is closed because uh, COVID is still too prevalent. We just cannot, cannot guarantee people are safe. Um, so we try to instead install uh, allowances for people to work from home if they need to, you know, upgrade their internet. There's there's ways you can you can talk to your uh, leadership team about helping you do that. Um, making sure that we have uh, equipment that can be sent to the home directly from our uh, VARs, our equipment VARs, if you will. And uh, so we're really trying to support the work from home thing. Now that all said, once that's all set up, once we do feel like offices are safe, I think it's going to be a um, I, I think there's going to be a, uh, a, an available option, uh, depending on what, uh, what you're capable of doing and what your, what your role is. Um, my role, for example, is very easy. I don't, I've never needed to be in the office, COVID or not. Right. <laughs> I've always been able to work from home. Nobody ever misses me. Um, my jokes are bad enough. So, so I, uh, the, uh, Same. yeah, they wanted me to work from home the entire time. There are other folks that it benefits them to work in a, uh, in a, in, in an office environment. Some of our customer service teams, uh, they work in pods and they have a captain they can talk to, uh, right. about some of the problems that may come across the service line. That's, that's so much more efficient when you're actually in close proximity. Um, so it's those, it's those business quality, uh, pieces, uh, with no, no intention of putting anybody in a dangerous or uncomfortable situation, but if it's so much easier to have people work in a, in a team in a close proximity group, uh, we want to make that available for people again, when things are safe. Right. Are we ever going back into the office? It just seems like, you know, well, some of us aren't allowed back in offices. So yeah. Yeah. A- I'm a very social person. This work from home has been hard on me. Uh, I constantly feed off of, uh, temperature checks of society, of my friends, of my coworkers, of, um, you know, uh, I don't know how to explain it in, in words that, that makes sense of what goes on in my head, but it's just like working from home. I don't get that. And so I start to, um, this is going to sound like I have like, uh, uh, hallucinations. It's not, that's not true, but I start to, I start to imagine other people around me because I like to ask people questions or I like to ask whatever. And so I start to emulate in my own head it becomes a form of daydreaming, if you will. And uh, when, when the pandemic first started, I was suffering from this daydreaming thing a lot where I would actually lose time on my calendar, not realizing how much time I've spent daydreaming, anticipating thinking thoughts, uh, having meetings in my head, trying to think about how I want to do something. And uh, it was too much. And so I need to, I had to come up with other mechanisms to keep myself focused on what I'm doing when there's no other people around to keep me in real life. Does that make sense? I, I tried to explain that. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I used to <clears throat> brag about how I hated ticket systems and my, uh, even more than my users did. And so it was nice to be able to walk around and talk to them, talk to users. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a totally bra- total brag point to be able to go and talk to users and see what they're doing and help them. But when everyone's at home, I find the problem is people that weren't using systems before are not using systems now, and now they're at home. And, you know, so how do you help people that don't know how to communicate that or don't like the systems that are in place or, Maybe they'll text you or maybe they'll email you and they're not perfect. How do you keep track of the problems now? Right. So now my bragging points are not bragging points about trying to keep track of what users issues and then also help help them through these. Cause you know, you used to be able to walk behind people and go, Hey, what are you working on? I can help you with that. And then now it's, how do you encourage people to contact you and you can work on a problem together, you know, and um, you know, that sort of uh it's sort of pair programming for uh, sort of IT support that we used to do, but now everyone's remote. So, hey, let's just jump on a Zoom or some kind of call or some kind of remote session on, and then work on this issue. What 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 are you working on? You know, what what do you need help with? You know, 
Yeah, I've, I've, I've felt, and it might be a very biased opinion on my part, being a very social person and enjoying the uh, cluster of people like you mentioned, but I, I felt like the very eclectic group of IT folks that all work within the IT department or systems engineers or network engineers or um, automation engineers uh, uh, combined with, you know, me, a SaaS, you know, operator ble- bleeding into client platform engineering and then into the IT support teams and the special specialties of them as well. The, um, when we were all in close proximity, it was so much easier to take a weird problem that needed multiple hands and just be able to ask questions back and forth and get it all done. But now that we're all remote, I have to figure out how to get them on Slack, get them on Zoom, get them on, get them on an email, get this information across. Does it wait until a meeting? Uh, these are all differences in thinking that that wasn't there before, too. And I, I don't know if it's actually more efficient or or not. Yeah, it's, it's definitely been a challenge. I mean, uh, I found it's, for some clients, setting up a, a team uh, on Slack would help because then you'd answer one problem for everybody. And other people were like, no, Slack channel was like, you know, going off every five seconds and I can't handle that, you know? And I'm like, okay, helpful in some ways, not helpful in others. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sur- searching Slack is a thing that nobody does. Yeah. And that's all, you know, before it was a uh, documentation was maybe sitting on a folder or maybe in a wiki, you know, and now it's like, where's the documentation or who's updating the documentation or where, where do we find this information? So yeah, the people with awesome systems before are laughing now and the people that had sort of half-assed sort of patchwork solutions, you know, are looking for better ways of doing things. There's one particular noisy uh, channel uh, on our support side that doesn't necessarily need to touch the rest of the IT team, but I find a lot of ITs in there anyway, but I keep sneaking out of it. I'll leave the channel. And, uh, and then every now and then when they need me again, they'll call my name and, and then pull me yeah. down the channel. And someone made a reference to like, it lo- It really feels like we're summoning Beetlejuice every time we do this. <laughs> so <I'll go. laughs> no, it's, it's totally helpful because you don't have to be like, an, even on the Mac admin Slack, like I'll just have a couple of keywords registered. And if people really want me, they just call, you know, at me. But if they, you know, I have certain keywords of things that I like to, to talk about, you know, uh, you know, XN or certain archiving things. Then I'm like, if people talk about it. I'll drop in and go, okay, yeah, here I am. But I don't need to be here all the time. But, you know, if you need me or I want to talk about a certain thing, then that helps to keep you know and yeah muting channels that if you're you know in a small group or small team maybe mute them until you actually get pulled in or um, a a master class on on slack and setting it to only mentions and keywords is is yeah very important so speaking of mentions uh some of there's a lot of uh news this week jd you uh you are you keeping on top of all this awesome stuff that's happening this week uh, are you talking about putting a, a, a small SUV on Mars or are you talking about like stuff that actually relates to us? <laughs> I, I'm not <laughs> talking about putting an SUV on Mars. Uh, the, the, I noticed there's no bike lanes on Mars yet. I'm very disappointed. I know. What? <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think there's oxygen to support you. But I so did notice that, that there a was a, a monkey update recently. And um, there's always new things to be learned about monkey. I learned that the repo clean uh, function that I was grabbing from a GitHub script is now built into monkey and has been for a while. <laughs> and so somebody was asking, how do I find which packages are not actually referred to or, you know, mentioned anywhere? Uh, and they're just orphaned. And someone's like, you can't do that. I, I think it was uh, uh, Graham, but uh, no, it was Nick that said, yeah, you can't do that. And someone's like, yeah, you can, it's been there forever. And I'm like, really? And I looked at him like, maybe I have an old version of repo clean. And then like, oh yeah. And then someone posted, I think it was Greg. Yeah. Repo clean's built into monkey now. And it told, tells you which is orphaned. And so, you know, you get used to doing things and I'll, oh, that's changed. And there's a new way of doing things. So 
there was a feature in Okta also that I never noticed before. And I was in a meeting with an Okta rep with some of my other IT folks. I was like, you know, it'd be really, really nice if we could do this. And they all kind of looked at me funny, like, first of all, we, we can. And second of all, we have been. There's already this, <laughs> there's already this, right. this evidence that we've been doing this. You- I, I don't want to tell you to RTFM, but would you please RTFM and then get back to us? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I filed a support uh, ticket with one of my uh, vendor companies and going, hey, we need this feature. And then they were like, you can't do that. And then I'm like, I just looked on the website and it says you can, though it's not mentioned in the manuals. So the marketing thinks you can, the, the manual writers don't think you can. It's just like, which one is it? They're like, we don't know. Why don't you try it and let us know? You know? <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, okay. I can do that. You're on the SaaS side of things, Brian, but what are you, what are you guys using for your stack of management since most everything is in the cloud for you? Uh, management in regards to... Yeah, endpoint management. Oh, oh yeah, we're we're a, we're a workforce one slash monkey slash chef environment right now. Oh, okay, and I think most of that is because, well, uh, at least the earlier versions of Jamf did not sit well with some of our some of our folks. I won't call out names. Um, there's not many of us. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, mm. Yeah, but uh, we we set up uh, we set up these because they were they were cost friendly as well. Um, right. and, uh, they worked for what we needed. We didn't really need any extra of the professional features that like jam offered at the time. So, um, have we talked about it? Yeah. Conclusions still don't need it. So it's, uh, we've been able to do everything we need with the, uh, monkey chef combo. Nice. Nice. And just a little MDM to get people rolling. Yeah. And, uh, kudos well. back to the people who I didn't mention the names earlier, uh, uh Austin and Harry, who, <laughs> um, we have a new gentleman named Willie who's, uh, who's, who's a great find as well. They, uh, the last time I decided to dive in and ask them a lot of questions, I, d- I did my own little version of, of this Q and a with them and said, like, kind of walk me through how this works. Walk me through how, when, it, when, you know, like we'll take a generic MacBook, uh, Apple business manager, it'll put that right into our workforce one. There's a synchronization there. And then once it's there, that workforce one will then push out an application and get it running. And once you get monkey running, then it'll get chef running. And when chef can then loop backward and check to make sure the first two are running. And so they actually have this loop back and forth that really redundant, redundantly checks to make sure everything's supposed to be running. And if one isn't, one of them will alert us. There's alerts everywhere. Um, they did a great job. So all of our all of our fleet is like up to date constantly because if it's not, it rings a bell really loud one way or another. Um, so I was quite impressed. Nice. nice. I think I remember when the Google Mac Ops team were talking about using Puppet and Monkey to do the same thing. I like think Monkey would install Puppet or Puppet would install Monkey. If one wasn't there, the other one would install the other one and, you know, make sure. And then, um, yeah. So to get out of it, you have to be really fast. You have to like kill 50 <laughs> things. <at once. laughs> well, and that's why I think the Google uh, team had a, a binary that was hidden somewhere that was called plan B. And it's like, both those are nuked. <laughs> we fix it. It's like <laughs> you nuke the user at that point. Yeah. Nuke the user, just delete self deletes. Yeah. I think they do have one like that. It's like, we can't get data, you can't either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you start killing processes. We'll start killing. Yeah. Your uh, oh, files. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's awesome. Awesome. Any, uh, any other cool stories, Brian, before we uh, go? What was funny that happened? We just recently got ourselves, uh, our Google into Okta. And this was a good efforts on our, one of our specialized support teams that uh, put that together. Um, we always wanted available. We always had it available. And like, we finally were able just to pull the trigger and do it. And we had a pretty good idea where the problems are going to lie. It's very common, small business to large business woes. There's a whole, I can write a whole book on this. Um, Please do. Is, <laughs> I, I could. <laughs> I really, I mean, I, I think it'd be great. Um, 
or give a talk at a conference, you know, Mac DevOps. Um, All yeah. business to large business blows. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, let's talk. I might be able so. to do that. Uh, but the one example here is uh, when we have a small business, sometimes there's a lot of admins in Google and a lot of people who don't maybe understand the best practices in Google. And so they create email users and just think that's the best way to handle a new email address. And those email users somehow get in, in, incorporated into a product. And now we just can't delete it because it's just so incorporated everywhere we need to go. And so when we, when we change the, uh, to, uh, the authentication factor from Google username password that we're so familiar with into Okta, we already knew who the problem children were going to be because we had cut down. We have reduced the number of personless accounts into you know, a smaller list. And we were just kind of waiting for them to kind of like come out and be like, hey, I can't log into my thing anymore. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so just in case someone didn't understand what the Google and the Okta are doing in this situation, explain it. Uh, like Google's an identity provider, right? You have your users there and Okta is your Google, yes. I mean, your identity provider sort of connector or it also has your identity as well, or good, is it? Good question. Yeah. Google does offer identity services as well, but we chose not to use it. And because we chose not to use it, it just acts as a regular SaaS app like everything else. And so we keep all of our identity management within Okta. And because of that, we wanted to have your username, password, and Okta only. So you're, you're authenticating here. We 2FA there. We prove yourself here. And all the integrations to make sure that you exist in the company happen in Okta. And then automation will, will spit out through either Okta direct interface or through Better Cloud or whatever. But Google was still a separate username and password entity. So that's two, two different username and passwords people had to know and remember to keep themselves alive. Um, so because we chose not to use Google, the hands are important. It's a whole salmon. Yeah. For those at home, uh, yeah. you know, Brian's <laughs> holding up a hand with five fingers over here. And this is Google. And then another hand with five fingers is Okta. And uh, yeah, two yeah. hands. So Okta here, I should have written it on there. Uh, so Okta here, yeah. So o- Okta here. Whoa. <laughs> oh, you got the Google beanie. The you got your whole... the over there. And then, then the Google, yeah. <laughs> you should be pointing at your, your toque. You got your head, uh, Google head and your uh, T-shirt Okta. Okay. It makes sense now. Yeah, so we, we, we decided to incorporate them to work together so that all of our identity management is happening in Okta and now Google no longer needs to be a separate username and password. People could just so, authenticate right through Okta. Is Okta sitting in front of some other identity service like uh, Azure AD or is it its own identity store? It can. Um, it can't. You can either have Okta be the source of truth by itself and it'll push out to AD or you can have to reverse and have AD push into Okta. And I don't know if my hands did the right gesture on that one, but uh, <laughs> it was very obscene. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right now I would say we are we we do have some directional inputs from Active Directory. Uh, however, we are moving closer to having our HRS system. Whenever HR slash recruiting gets new hires into the system, they enter in their own. Uh, they enter in a lot of fields that the rest of us don't need to see, and so we leave that as a source of truth. They export only what we need to see: name, last name, email address and what department or job they're going to be doing. All that rolls down into uh, a combination of Active Directory and Okta. And that's where our uh, identity needs to be. And we're, we're having discussions about how much Active Directory is still needed. Like we're, we've moved most of our entity into Okta. Nice. That's awesome. Thanks for taking the time to describe some of your challenges this year and um, some of the pieces of the puzzle. It's always fun to to see how people are building stuff and uh, dealing with the challenges they face. This is super fun. Thanks for giving me the chance to uh, speak out my perspective on the thing. Yeah, that's great. I was uh, happy to talk to you both. Yeah. Is there a, a way to reach you on the internets? I am, uh, ooh, what can I put out there? 
<laughs> Mac uh, admin Slack. You're on the Mac admin Slack. I'm on the Mac admin Slack. Brian Wilkins. I'm in Mac admin Slack. I have a little grumpy cat picture as my logo. That's kind of like my mantra for most of the apps mm-hmm. I join. I'm also in the Better Cloud Slack, uh, which doesn't really compare to the to the size and depth of the Mac admin Slack. Um, but great information on both and great people to follow. And yeah, I'm definitely there. Anybody can reach out to me on those slacks. I'll be around. Awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. I, I was a little put off by the grumpy cat, but you're very friendly in person. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I do. A, I, I took a picture from my Lyft profile and it's like, you know, I took, I took a picture and it's on my Lyft profile. So every, every time somebody picks me up from Lyft or Uber, they see that picture of me and, and I usually get a laugh out of it. They, they usually, <laughs> wasn't, sure, wasn't sure what kind of person you're going to be. Uh, spreading love and good humor through the world. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate you both. If you want to sponsor the Mac DevOps podcast, uh, just give us a shout at hello at mdoyvr.com. We'll be accepting sponsorships for the podcast and for the next year's conference. Thank you to our Mac DevOps YVR 2020 sponsors. Our sponsors for Mac DevOps YVR, the conference 2020. Mac Stadium, our platinum sponsor. Thank you so much for helping us out. Sauce Labs, our gold sponsor, Simple MDM, our silver sponsor, and Adigy, our bronze sponsor, as well as Elastic, our community sponsor. Thank you so much. Uh, we couldn't do it without you, and uh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests, and thank you to our co hosts. Today's episode was edited by JD Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. Wait, un momento, por favor, while I recable my entire system. <laughs>